We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button, as well listen to old archive shows as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, Scott. Hot. It's hot out there. It is. Whoa, is it ever toasty? Finally, it's <laughs> arrived. Uh, Going to talk about financial wellness. Financial wellness, and it was a, uh, as I was sort of researching topics this week, one of the things that jumped out at me, and it was a study done by Manulife that I wanted to share, and it just really sort of tries to set the tone that everybody is better off in their health if they're financially healthy too. Yeah, you hear that. If yeah. people have had like some sort of financial setback, it can really do it, it screw does. With their and, health. And, yeah. and I think what happens to the psychology, I mean, Don and I, the, the role trying to motivate people into mm-hmm. action, uh, we were just joking about it. It's, it's almost like having a personal fitness trainer. Mm-hmm. You know, you hire somebody and they're supposed to be your champion, cheer you on, get you, keep you motivated, but also push you to yeah. do things when you need to get them done. Maybe it's finishing your will. Maybe it's getting your taxes done on time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's reviewing your insurance, whatever it might be. So, um, but often people can be hesitant to contact us. Like somebody, you know, if, you, if your health was off track, your, your motivation should be, I've got to see the doctor, yeah. or I might end up with um, a new uh, health program, and how do I implement that? So the same thing happens with your finances, too. You know, if your finances are off track, how do you get started, and how do you improve the health of your finances? Because mm. that's going to impact your overall life. Yeah. And so the study was talking about just the keys to overall physical and mental health really uh, stem back to your financial wellness as well. So the study found that if you increase your financial wellness, you actually, those people actually exercise more. Mm. They Mm. eat more fruits and vegetables. They get health checkups more regularly and they worry less about money. So the study was interesting just to see the connection Mm. between having a financial health and your personal physical health and mental health and how much they are connected as well. So does that mean if you save, you don't have to work out? (laughs) You'll be more motivated to work out. (laughs) Oh, okay. Whether you do or not, (laughs) you're more likely to work out actually. (laughs) There you go. The less you save, the less likely you are to work out. Okay. All right. All right. That's that's quite a, Conundrum there. Though. I know. Yeah. You're already not doing enough on the savings That's side. A wicked, it's affecting it's a, it's, the other person. I know. It's a double-edged sword for sure. So the problem is the Manulife survey uncovered is that 40% of Canadians feel financially unwell. Mm-hmm. And they're from all different walks of life. And what they found is that the group overall, they were less knowledgeable about investments. They were less likely to feel prepared to deal with any financial emergency. And they were highly unlikely to be on track to reaching their retirement goals. And when the study sort of did a follow-up with those people, um, they, they found another, another portion of the study that 50% of people who seek professional help, so if you had, um, whether it was marriage problems, life problems, seeing a, a professional counselor, counselor yeah. 50% of those people who seek professional help uh, to deal with their life issues also have financial challenges. Mm. Half of those people that are seeing seeking financial or professional help had financial challenges wow. as well. And in talking to the counselors, the professionals that were 
dealing with those people and their issues, one third of counselors found that their clients uh, saw no connection between their financial health and their existing condition. Really? Yeah. That's funny. So there's a lot of denial around it, I think, in terms of uh, what our financial health means to our overall personal health and our Mm. our wellness. And and I think the problem is that it's difficult to talk about money issues. And well, look at in, in marriage. They say one oh. of the biggest reasons for, for breaking up or difficulty in marriage is finance. Yeah. So yeah. It, again, it comes back to your financial wellness and mm-hmm. how can you improve your financial wellness? Um, and and the, the problem is if, you, if, you, if you've got difficulties talking about it or if your financial wellness is not great, it's going to increase the emotional barriers that allow you to gain control of your finances. Mm -hmm. And so the key ones that were came out of the study were, uh, number one was embarrassment. So, and I've seen this where people have make great incomes, you know, six figure incomes, uh, doing really well from a career perspective, but their financial wellness is terrible. Yeah. They've, they've overspent, they haven't prepared. Uh, there's tons of gaps in their, in their financial health. Um, shame. So, mm. you know, it might be, uh, how your peer group is doing financially and your perception of that. And you feel maybe ashamed that you weren't, why couldn't I do this? Why mm. couldn't I get this under control? Why have I let it slip away? Um, fear and guilt. Uh, fear is a lot of times just fear of unknown, not wanting to make a mistake. And the guilt is sometimes, um, you know, do I deserve this? Do I deserve to be financially well? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times people do feel guilty about that. Um, the fourth one was being judged. And so if you came to me as a, uh, with your, if your financial wellness was in trouble and you came to Don or I, the concern being, well, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be told that I've messed up. I don't yeah. want to be told about the mistakes, you know, and, and mm. I don't want to be judged neither by my, the professionals or my peers. As how well. do you balance that? How yeah. do you, how do you tell them what they need to do without making them feel bad? Yeah. And I thought about that and it, coming back to sort of that personal trainer scenario yeah. or anybody who's going to take somebody who's in need of help and direct them towards it. And, and I think the, the good news is, is that because we've done it so often, uh, for us, there's nothing that we haven't seen before. And so your situation, you might feel is way out of whack and that's fine. We will identify the, that, but it all comes back to a process and whether it's getting your weight back on track, whether it's getting your blood pressure, I mean, there's a path yeah. to it. It's just a matter of making those first steps. Right. And, and getting the ball rolling, being judged. And then finally, um, being stigmatized, you know, being stigmatized. Oh, you know, how could somebody who makes all that money be doing so poorly financially? Mm-hmm. Or how can somebody who's, you know, you know, they're not keeping their job and, and they, they, they seem to always be in financial trouble or this person's always borrowing money from me and never pays me back. Yeah. You know, there are all kinds of scenarios where, you know, people are dealing with money and the psychology around money. So, the money issues are, are, money issues are not uncommon and it tends to, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a failure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it just means that we're not on the right path yet. Some people have a strength in it. Some people don't. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that when we talk about improving your physical health and for example, if you, uh, wanted to, you know, start watching what you eat. 
And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to begin to track what are you eating, what's going in, and you know you don't want to less calories in, more calories out. You're going to lose weight. Uh, and so tracking your spending on the financial side is similar in the similar vein to keeping track of what you're eating in terms of your physical side. So there's one I saw a great idea. The challenge was ten dollars a day. So for the next week, see if you can just spend ten dollars a day. And so that might mean taking lunch to work. Mm -hmm. It might mean avoiding the latte. It might mean something else. But it's small little changes in short bursts that can help to redirect and refocus your thinking. Mm -hmm. And you you start to feel a little bit of a reward at the end of it as well. Um, They talk about exercise. If you're starting to, if you want to improve your physical health, uh, they always say, get into an exercise routine, right? And how many days do you have to do that exercise routine before it starts to take hold? I think it's three days, isn't it? Three, that's fantastic. Isn't it a hundred? No, I'm sorry, three times a week I was thinking. Three times a week. How long before you see the benefit? Yeah. I would say six weeks. Yeah, usually they say you got to do it for 30 days, right? If you you stick to something for Mm -hmm. 30 days, it it starts to become a habit. And 150 minutes a week. I heard that. Too. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same thing with, uh, with finances, you know, you have to be willing to commit to something for a 30 day and the Manulife article, they actually had a great, uh, they call it the 30 days to better finances. And it takes you through each day and each, each part of the week to as little benchmarks and be happy to send that to anybody who would like to get on a, a 30 day financial wellness program. And, uh, and the next thing would be seeking help. And so whether it's seeing your professional, your doctor, uh, as a, a personal trainer, whatever it is, coming to see us as your financial trainer is going to go a long way to helping you prioritize things and figure out what needs to be done and, and, and what, where you're going to be most impacted in terms of benefit yeah. in the short term as well. And so uh, all of this also stems around the emotional biases. And these are basically a legacy of emotions and um, conception or preconceptions that we have about finances. It's based on things we've heard from our parents. It's based on things we've heard from our friends. It's based on things we've heard in the media. And it's also based on our own personal experiences as well. So whether you're new at it or you're seasoned at it, everybody has emotional biases. But the key thing is that these can really freeze you or stop you from achieving your financial goals. And there's four main ones. The first one is loss aversion. And so loss aversion is a bias where we don't, you know, we're, we're so fearful of losing our capital mm. that we're not willing to make an investment. Or we've lost money in the past on right. somebody, a friend who gave us a tip, we tried it out, it didn't work. Or we've been in the stock market before, we lost money, you've lost money, and now you don't want to be back in the stock market again. So again, you don't want to have that loss. Um, Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is basically, if you have a belief, you know, that stocks are bad, or that, you know, gold is the best investment, you can find information that will confirm exactly what you're Mm -hmm. thinking. Mm -hmm. So confirmation bias means that we tend to naturally go towards information that confirms what we already think. So we're not learning anything new. uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Even the question you ask on Google. Yeah. They'll ask a question that's so slanted. Yeah. Is it going to be cold in February? Mm-hmm. And Google will only come back with cold days in February. Yeah. Never any warm ones <laughs> yeah. or July or whatever the month is. So it'll actually, the f- way you frame the question 
you will get the the answer you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Confirmation Analytics, bias. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the third bias is recency bias, and recency bias is that uh, you know you you might just think well you dive into stocks as it's peaking because everything's going up. You don't want to miss out on the party. You don't want to miss out on the opportunity. So in you get on it when it's at the top. Or if everything starts to go down, you want to get out and you're buying, you're selling when it's down. So you tend to be most, you remember what's just recently happened mm-hmm. instead of uh, instead of looking at the long-term trend, right. the recency bias. And then finally, the fourth one, which is herd mentality. And herd mentality is basically, the, the, it's just a familiar thought process where investors, you don't want to be left out of a trend. And uh so I think the key thing is you just have to make sure it's the right time for you. So, mm-hmm. I mean, coming back to your overall financial wellness, I think that um, uh, no matter what stage you're at and how poorly you might feel about your financial wellness right now, the first step is to talk to a professional. Uh, they are not going to embarrass you. Mm-hmm. They are going to treat it like every other client and looking at the goals and the opportunities that you're going to have. And they'll begin to implement a plan. And as you begin to execute that plan and you see things start, it's like that 30-day commitment and you'll start to see some benefits, it all begins to come full circle. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now and leave a message at 905 529-7165. We're coming right back. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. Take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're talking about investor psychology and behavioral finance. Yeah. Should I lie down on the couch here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just tell us about your That's issues, right. yeah, you, know. And, you know, my likes and dislikes well, and such. Any dreams about money? What do they mean? <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> That's it, yes. We'll, 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 I wake we'll interpre- up screaming and sweating at night. <laughs> we'll interpret those for you, Scott. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. I know to dovetail a little bit here what Andy said. You know, I went to a seminar not long ago, and it was put on by uh, Patty Williams from Wharton School of Business. And the whole idea is really a nutshell why it's so difficult for humans to make good financial decisions. And, you know, Andy hit it right on, making small changes. Don't try to go wholesale. It's, again, like a diet, like a workout scheme. Yeah. Money's like the same. And you, it, whether it's trying to go and be able to add $50 a month, at least you're doing something. But to start from zero and never getting off that zero mm-hmm. is really hard. So we're really, in a nutshell, we're, it's, we're not really wired to Many money. think they have to be making <laughs> lots of money to save money. I don't have enough to save. I'm barely getting by with what I have. And, and that's a great point. And it's funny, some of our very wealthy clients, <clears throat> they just started early. Yeah. And I, one of my top 10 in terms of net worth he worked at a company here in Hamilton, and his wife was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do extremely well. It's kind of like the millionaire next door. Yeah. And they saved so much of their money. They had three kids, went through university, a couple cars in the driveway. From the curb, you think everything was just the same as the neighbor next door. Yeah. And I'm sure the incomes could have been very similar, but one had vastly different outcomes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't based on returns. Certainly, we'd made some changes, 
which helped, uh, made a big change in terms of what they had. But they're going to be successful with or without me. Yeah. We just probably doubled their net worth over right. that time. But it's interesting when it comes down to looking at the client psychology and their decision making and what goes through their head and rational economic models. Rationals in quotations because are people really rational when it comes to things? And, and, they, and also about this course, they talk about insights to improve your decision making, not only for uh, the planners, but also for the clients. So they took three different approaches. I find this very interesting. If we simply said, this is what you have to do. It's been time tested. Do this for sure and you will be successful. You think, well, that's just and that, that is approach number one. Supply people with accurate information. Sure. Okay. Well, if that was the case, why is anybody even smoking anymore? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been, what, how many years now since we have put mm -hmm. a very strong link to, you know, heart, cancer, yeah. all sorts of different issues because of it. And here's the accurate information. It's been, this is, there's no bones about it. Uh, mm. uh, cigarette companies have been sued over this and, they, and they've lost. So mm -hmm. we know it's actually true, yep. yet still people are smoking. Yeah, good so point. So that doesn't work. Well, then we, they actually said, okay, we'll deliver incentives. We'll pay people. Mm. So they actually tried to pay people to make changes in behavior, and still they didn't make changes. A good example, again, go, going with the smoking thing is uh, if you say, okay, I'm going to lower your, your, uh, your insurance rates. Mm -hmm. Okay, life insurance rates are, are double if you smoke. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that still doesn't make any changes. Oh, yeah, I know they're double, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. And the last time I talked to a client about it, He's about six years from retirement and says, at retirement, I'm going to quit retirement. I'm going to quit smoking. <laughs> That's it. That's the one. And I said, okay, but I have heard about 20 different reasons or different uh, life Milestones. Yeah. Milestones, a good point. Yeah, that's the one yeah. I'm looking for. That he was going to quit, and he did. But I wouldn't call it quitting. I more call it stopping. Right. <laughs> stopping. Because <laughs> it was a long term. And finally, the third approach is design incentives with behavioral economics because people are irrational. And that, that seems to be the one that works because at the end of the day, people make irrational decisions um, on many fronts because mm. we can rationalize anything. Sure. We absolutely can rationalize anything. Um, you know what? It's raining today. I, like this past weekend wasn't great weather. No. I'm not going to exercise this weekend. No. You know, it's too, the weather's too wet. And then I watch a whole pack of joggers go by. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they didn't have the same excuses. Yeah. But I had a really good one built in my head that I couldn't exercise, you know. Yeah. So... You go through those those three basic ones, the information technique, the traditional econom economist, and the behavioral econ economist, and they come out to very different things. And the reason is, is because, first of all, people have different motivations. They have different abilities. Um, they have different levels of education, too. Mm -hmm. The financial literacy um, is an interesting one. Sometimes... <clears throat> Ones that are extremely financially literate, they know everything, mm -hmm. make very poor decisions, but they have, they're armed with all the information. Hmm. They almost are almost like too smart. Yeah. You know, a little knowledge is dangerous. It's like an unhealthy doctor. <laughs> yeah, I, almost like that. You're yeah. right. They know everything about it, but they're yeah. not actually doing anything about it. Um, complexity. Uh, if something's too complex, they just kind of just, well, you know, I can't understand this. Yeah. And then they just go through one ear and out the other ear. And I know our business, and that's what... Andy and I certainly try to do with not only this radio show, but with our clients is trying to deliver a message that hopefully people are understanding mm -hmm. and they get, they get it. Um, cause we certainly don't want to talk above their heads cause it's no good for them. It's no good for us. Okay. We're trying to uh, convey a message. No good for me either, Don. <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> Thank you. Keep it simple boys. <laughs> yep. And ego need for self-esteem. 
So, you go back to the smoking as a perfect example. What really started to change the smoking habits was that health, maybe for a certain percentage of people, oh, wow, this could cause cancer. But I would actually suggest right now, it's more social behavior. Yeah, you can't do it here. Yeah. You have to go up there. Right. And people, yeah. and there's annoying. a whole school of people shunning them. Oh, yeah, mm. he's a smoker. I really don't hang, hang out with her or she because mm. they smoke. Mm. You know, and it's now become... Everyone that goes down for the break. Right, yeah. yeah. Standing out there, yeah. Yeah, it's almost uh, become socially unacceptable, mm. and that's made more behavioral change than anything. Yeah, Not about the, you know, the very common sense part. So we things become representative, and we all play games with ourselves, whether it's investments or anything. So if you ask a farmer, and let's say we, we frame it this way, a farmer says, well... Mr. Farmer, if it looks like a chicken and walks like a chicken, what is it? Well, it's probably a chicken. He's going to say that's his framework. He I thought maybe chicken. it was a duck, but I never mind. You know, funny enough. <laughs> funny enough, it could have been a duck. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yep. You took my punchline. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's good, though. And you're not even reading my notes. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Don. <laughs> hey, that's great. Um, but the whole point is it... He was framed with a certain framework, yet it wasn't that. It was a duck. Mm. And the same with investors. They'll say, okay, well, stocks are risky because I heard about this person and they lost money in stocks. Right. Well, me we, Meanwhile, they were investing some gold company penny stock and now they've taken that whole frame of res reference and say, okay, well, mutual funds invested in stocks are risky. Yeah. Can't even compare the two. It's like... Chicken and ducks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I get for trying to be a smart arse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. So anyway, chasing momentum is another issue. It's actually interesting how strong past performance leads to increased flow into the funds. I know Andy and I have talked about that. If you go back to the crisis we had in, say, 08, 09, Andy, mm -hmm. in terms of how many people were adding new money, more money to the markets, versus money coming out of the markets. What was going yeah, on? Yeah, it was terrible. Everybody was, nobody was adding money. Yeah. We had negative cash flow. Yeah. yeah. It's actually hard for a fund manager to do his job. Thankfully, they do have a float on the side, but when the markets are going down, you should probably be buying their cheaper. Yeah. And that would be the common sense approach. Mm -hmm. But it actually leads, it's been proven time and time again that people are doing the wrong thing. And that's why they have these things, such the Dalbar report, showing the average client return is often different than the actual fund return. Hmm. And it's not better, it's way worse. Hmm. It's about half. Because they're selling when things are down. Right. And they're buying, chasing momentum, buying mm -hmm. when things are up. And it's actually interesting, employees working in top performing companies, for example, let's say uh, Apple or mm -hmm. Google or something like that right now, are contributing 40% of the savings into company stock. So whatever their savings going into the company stock because it's doing so well. Mm -hmm. Employees in low-performing um, companies are contributing only 10%. Hmm. Funny enough, the top quintile employers are actually earning about 7% less returns Yeah, because they're buying a stock that is doing well. Yeah. It's shown momentum. That's fear. That's the safety. It's uh, Yeah, but they're also looking at, okay, it's going to continue to do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at what it's done in the last 10 years. Right. And now it's going to continue. Meanwhile, the one that's done poorly, maybe that company is making some adjustments now mm -hmm. so that they'll do a lot better in the future. So it's it's very, it's very interesting what drives people. And it's hard for Andy and I because we're sitting here with, you know, some idea what people should be doing. Okay. We have all the stats. This is the logical part. 
but sometimes and what we're looking at is people are doing illogical things. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I had a client right now saying working for Apple, why would they put any money into a very conservative equity mutual fund? When they said, well, look at my company stock. Mm-hmm. It's, it's doubled in the last three years. Yeah. Well, I think you could probably say the same thing for Nortel stock yeah. at one time. Yeah. Okay. Blackberry stock. Blackberry stock. Anytime you're dealing with one stock, it has a greater risk, no mm-hmm. matter what the company is. Yeah. But again, this is the human emotion portion of it. So then there's anchoring. And anchoring and adjustment is interesting because when you buy something, people have a price in mind. So if let's say you bought a stock at $10 and it went to $7. Well, that person has now felt that they've lost 30%. Mm-hmm. Well, what if that a different person bought it for a dollar and it went to 10 and now it's down to seven? Well, they've got now seven times their money. Yeah. So one guy is feeling lousy about their investment. Yeah. One guy's feeling still pretty darn good about it, even though the price is the same price. Mm-hmm. It's just on when they did it. Yeah. And that's the anchoring <clears throat> side. So we all have anchoring to a number. And we, we're seeing that in real estate right now. People say, oh, well, you know, um, last year my house yeah. is worth $1 million mm-hmm. and I'm not going to sell for a penny under that. Yeah. Meanwhile, <clears throat> everybody knows that the houses have gone down about 15 to 20% in mm-hmm. a lot of areas. And that house will sit on the market for a lot longer. Yeah. And so we're starting to see that now they've anchored to a certain number. Yeah. And they don't want to sell. Yeah, waiting for it to come back. Waiting. Yeah. And it might. Okay, often it has. But I know in the uh, 90s, there was four negative years in a row. Mm-hmm. And it took 12 years to get back to that level. Yeah. So I'm not saying that will happen, but that's the idea how anchoring works. And so it, it has an irrelevant starting point. And that's the problem. We've now anchored a number to something. And now you're either feeling good about the investment or bad about the investment. But at the end of the day, it's still a number. So what happens is we all end up with risks. So if you had a, this is an interesting little test here. Let's say, and I'll ask you, Scott, if you'd like to take this bet. You had a 50 chance, 50, 50% chance on losing $20. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you also had a 50% chance on gaining $25. Would mm-hmm. you take that bet? I thought you were going to say, and then I could win 20 bucks. Then I'd say, yes. Uh, would I take it? Um, 5%, sorry, a 50% chance I'm going to make five bucks. Uh, no, 50% chance you'll lose 20. Yeah. One flip of a coin. Right. But there's a 50% chance you're going to gain 25. Sure. You'd take it. Okay. Well, you know what? You're actually right because... 50, the odds are 50-50. So you yeah, keep flipping yeah. this coin yeah. and you do it enough times. Heads, you lose 20 bucks. Tails, you win 25. Okay. Okay. So you actually are up $5. I had longer. my math off. That's why okay. I delayed. Sorry. No, no problem. <laughs> hey. And, uh, but hey, you're thinking about it, but this is actually the right answer. Most people actually won't take that bet. Yeah. They're thinking, well, I, I don't mind losing 20, but I want to gain 40. That's they what think I was it should thinking be double. initially. Yeah, and yeah. that's actually- If what that's mo- what you're going to lose, then that's maybe what I better win. Right. That's exactly what most people look at. But in this particular case, you keep flipping that coin, your odds are you're going to be up five bucks all the time. Yeah. yeah. And that's worth worthwhile. Yeah. But most people anchor to what you're saying and they yeah. end up not taking that bet. So they looked at the emotional side of loss. So if I get the, um, and it's far steeper. So a little loss ends up being a very steep emotional um, issue. Mm-hmm. So if we look at our quarterly statement, and let's say it was down 2%. Mm-hmm. They said, oh my gosh, look at we're down. And you see the value of that 2% downturn versus let's say you had a 2% uptick. People don't get any 
bonus on that at all. (laughs) Okay, there's no value at all. They don't even get excited. There's zero. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) So you get no excitement on a 2% uptick, but you get a full down on a 2% downtick. And that is actually based on an anchor point. So if your expectation level is you're going to make a 7% rate of return, and we made you 5%, in their mind, they've lost 2%, Mm -hmm. even though they're still up 5 So this is where we have to, as financial planners, and I know Andy and I always do this in our, um, in our what we call personal financial programs, is our, our financial plans, is use a fairly conservative rate of return. Mm-hmm. Because if we come in at, say, four, four and a half, five, and you guys do seven, yeah. you're fine. Yeah, yeah. But if we come in, at, if we say we're going to do nine, and we come in at seven, you're yeah. oh, geez, this thing's <laughs> not even close. <laughs> the same number, yeah. but we're not happy with it. And it's all about the way it's framed. And so human nature plays such a big role in terms of how happy our clients are, even though the exact same thing happens. And we understand this. We've been doing this for over 30 years. We want people to be happy. But at the end of the day, we can't change the results. Um, returns generally average, and you go 200 years, stock performance is about 6% above inflation. Mm-hmm. That is the real rate of return. But it's interesting, even though this is proven and over long periods of time, you can go 10, 15, 50 years, doesn't matter. It's, it seems to revert to that number all the time. If we come across and show you that you are guaranteed that you will retire comfortably if we go 100% equities. But if you go 100% GICs, I can guarantee you will run out of money. Mm-hmm. Okay, Stocks have some volatility. GICs have zero volatility. Mm-hmm. And so people look at us as, well, at least I know what they're getting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> at least I know how bad it can get. <laughs> I know. And here's the exact, this is the smoker example. Yeah. Okay. This will guaranteed, and you're going to run out of money, guaranteed by age 85. The other one guarantees you will not run out of money. In the history, but there's no guarantee the, the year by year returns, but in the history of 200 years, you would never have run out of money if you go in stocks. Mm-hmm. And they still won't G- go out of GICs. And the end result is... They don't, there's a lot of big feeling of regret. If they move it over, they feel terrible. If they bought in and it went down. Mm-hmm. So rather than sitting still, there's sitting still is actually an easier emotion. Yeah. If it goes up and you didn't move it, oh, well, at least I still got my GIC. Mm-hmm. Who cares if I lost out on that 20% return? Mm. At least I got my 2% GIC, I still made money. But if they move it over and it goes down, then they feel terrible. So this is a big result of why people procrastinate. Mm-hmm. So I'm a lot of listeners here, first of all, it's most of the people listening, I'm sure, do not fall in the camp of procrastinating because they're interested in money. Mm-hmm. So quite often, they want to have reaffirmation of that they're already doing things well. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay? Yeah. They're looking for something that says, just like yeah. we're talking about the Google example, hey, they're going to tell us the stuff we're doing and we're doing a great job. No. It's the other ones that aren't listening. And these might be your kids. These might be your neighbors that aren't doing these things. And we'd love to help them out also but they don't want to actually find these numbers. They don't want to find this information because it'll actually show they're doing things wrong. Hmm. So they're too, not tuned in right now. So you listeners, you got to go out and talk to your neighbors or your kids <laughs> and get them aboard. Spread go, the word. Go lean over the fence and say, come here, Harry, listen to this. <laughs> 
Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archives shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Nine questions for retirement. Yeah. So you've been working hard, Mm -hmm. you've been saving, you've been planning. You're ready to go. And now you're ready to go. And now it's time to not stop planning. It's actually time to re-engage the whole planning process. And I think that this is probably uh, at the best time to start talking to or re- talk to your advisor about uh, yeah. your retirement plan. And I and I think the nine questions that you need to ask yourself and your advisor uh, are the following. Number one, uh, how should I withdraw my RRSP? Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it time to convert to a RIF? When do I, do I take an income stream now? Do I take it as lump sums? How am I going to get money out of my RRSP? And how do I do that most tax efficiently? Number two, what about my pension? So maybe you've got uh, a workplace pension, it might be a defined benefit, it might be a defined contribution plan. Uh, what are you entitled to? You can usually pick different dates, you can get some estimates from them. And if it's, um, if it's a defined contribution plan, we're going to be looking at how much can you take out of that? What form should it be? How long will it survive for you and your spouse? Should there be an annuity? Number three, can income splitting help? So depending on your age and the type of income you have, you can split things like Canada Pension Plan. You can split your pension income. You can split uh, your RIF income. So there are a number of different strategies. And depending on your age, you can split with your, with your spouse as well. And you could be common law. Uh, number four, what's the right level of investment risk? So now I'm retiring. Should I be more conservative or should I stay the same? How should I address my investment risk? What's What should I be doing, if anything, to change that to make sure it lasts through my retirement? Number five, what if my savings aren't enough? So now we've done a little bit of research on in terms of your situation and your concern. Maybe I don't have enough to retire on the income that I thought I was going to have. So we can look at and explore, should it be another couple of years before you retire? Uh, or maybe there's something else you want to do. Maybe there's a part-time job on the horizon that you want to be more involved with or do something that's going to pay you. Uh, or maybe your spouse is going to work a little bit longer than thought. Uh, number six, how do I handle debt in retirement? So more and more people handling or dealing with debt as they're heading into retirement. Key thing is you got to have a game plan, right? What is the game plan? How are we going to pay this off? How is it going to impact us as we go forward, particularly, and you need to look at what rising interest rates might do. Number seven, am I covered? Your current health plan is probably going to stop. So once you retire, you leave your employer, you now no longer have health plan, you don't have a dental plan, you don't have any prescription drugs, you don't have your um, uh, chiropractor, massage therapist, all of that's going to go. So looking at an alternative, there might be a a third party need for a third party health insurance plan for you and your spouse. Number eight, what about my will? Uh, So if you haven't reviewed your estate plan for a while, this is the time to do it. Mm -hmm. Look at what would happen. Do I need to update that? You know, our life is obviously 
Lots change. We're getting ready for retirement now. What should my will look like? Who's going to be my legal representative, uh, power of attorney, and who is going to be the executor as well? And number nine is CPP. So Canada Pension Plan, should it be now or should it be later, right? And uh, and this one I just wanted to spend a little more time on. And we were I was reading some information about this, and it was really the, the title of it was, is, a, is, it, is CPP, is it a good bang for the buck? And they did an analogy where they were putting sort of CPP, the rate of return that Canada Pension Plan is earning, putting that to the test. And so they took a, a, fictional, a fictional character, Richard, and he retired at the end of last year. So December 31st, 2017, he was 40 years in the workforce and started, making, uh, started working in 1978. And he made the maximum contributions, annual contributions to Canada Pension Plan. And he's wondered, wondering, uh, would I have been better off if I had invested that money myself over the years instead of putting it into Canada Pension Plan? Hmm. And so let's, we ran some random numbers. And um, so first of all, we talk about life expectancy. So some of the assumptions. So one, Richard's going to have a life expectancy of 21 years from age 65. So he'll be living to age 86. Uh, assumption number two is inflation is going to be 2% over the whole time period. Assumption number three is that Richard makes the maximum annual employee CPP contribution for 40 years from 1978 to uh, 2017. And number four, he'll be eligible for the maximum annual Canada Pension Plan retirement pension indexed to inflation throughout his retirement, which will start this year at $13,610 per year. So based on those assumptions, we found out that Richard would have needed a 7.78%, it's called 7.8% pre-tax annual rate of return on his contribution to Canada Pension Plan to be able to replicate that annual payment from CPP when he retires. And so 7.8%, a lot of people say, well, I could probably get 7.8%. I find more of an aggressive investor that might just work out. Uh, but what we actually found is that the real returns, and we talked about Dalbar earlier, when we look at how people make out in terms of their investment return. The average U.S. investor investing in stocks over the last 30 years has averaged 4% per year. And if it was a balanced fund over the same time period, they've only averaged 1.9% per year. And a balanced fund would be more similar to what Canada Pension Plan is. Mm. And that's basically all back to investor behavior that Don was talking about. So... Clearly, on the as an employee, it's a pretty good bet that Canada Pension Plan, you're going to do better on the returns by just putting that money in there. If you're self-employed and you have to make both sides of the contribution, the employee and the employer side, then that rate of return is cut in half. Hmm. And so now we're down to uh, 3.9%, call it 4%, which is something kind of in the realm. So for those that are self-employed, it is still a bit up in the air, which is best. But uh, clearly, CPP has been worth the investment for any employee over the time. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. Call now, and they will return your call. 
We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about CPP reforms coming to seniors? Yeah, and what it means to seniors. Well, it's interesting. We had all these reforms that went through through about a year ago. They got passed on a federal level. I know originally they're trying to have their own Ontario pension plan. Thankfully, that was put aside and they just enhanced the current Canada pension plan. Mm-hmm. And it is, a, as Andy said in his nine questions, there is probably one of the bigger questions we get now because it is important. It's a lot of money you put into this plan and it, you should really treat this no different than if you work for a company ca- a pension plan. Yeah. What is the best decisions? It's, you're putting in money, you're going to get out money later. What's the best decision? And how does it affect you? So under the new expansion of CPP, they're basically replacing your income from about a quarter to a third. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're making 50000 a year all the way through, it used to be a quarter of that replacement, now it's going up to a third. But it's not coming at no cost. The employer is putting more money in and the employee is putting more money in. Right. Plus, they've got a higher limit now. It's going up to approximately $80,000 rather than currently it's about fifty-three dollars or $4,000 right now. So it's, it's our money going into the plan. And the other part of it, it's still a ways away. Like if, uh, you know, we're lo- I'm looking around the room right now, we're all in our mid-50s, we're going to have very little effect from this, mm-hmm. okay? Because it really doesn't take place until fully fully takes place until 2070. So Yikes. our kids <laughs> yeah. um, will have an effect on them yeah. Okay, when they retire. But really for the ones that are currently uh, you know, middle-aged, it will have a some very minor effect. Right. But you know, in a nutshell, what ends up happening is somebody earning 50000 a year for 40 years, and I know it would be indexed, you'd make more money, but in today's dollars, would end up getting $4,000 more a year. Okay. So that seems pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. In what, what really ends up though, because of tax and our complicated system of social benefits, it works out that you're actually only getting 2,500 more a year in your pocket. Mm. So you're in your pocket after tax or after deductions because the more money you make, you lose some of the age deduction. Mm-hmm. You now get your old age security possibly clawed back. If you're collecting um, guaranteed income supplement, you get that clawed back. So between all this, they've just taken an average and you are going to get about 200 more a month if you're at a 50,000 year level. So there's a whole lot of factors that affect a Canada pension plan and how much you get is, like I said, even if you're you know, married, if you can income split, married versus single, like I said, common law, all these affect Canada pension plan. Plus a Canada pension plan can be split on its own right. So that has a bearing. So this is a great subject to go with your financial planner because I know Andy and I spent a lot of time going through these rules and, and you really should not just take this, well, my neighbor told me taking it early is a good thing, so I'm taking yeah, it early. Um, really is uh, subject to your particular situation. And it is tailor-made to you uh, specifically because uh, what's right for you is, uh, you know, if you're healthy and you've got genetics saying your parents lived to 90 and you never smoked and your neighbor retired at 60 and he worked at a factory and uh, not married, and as a smoker, yeah, he might have made a right decision taking it at a 60. Mm. Circumstances make a big difference. So under this new system, they actually worked out who does it affect the most in terms of a benefit and how much does it hurt the most. And funny enough, um, the low income earners 
they're a little concerned about this enhancement because even though they're getting more money, they're getting hurt the most too because they are lose, they're losing some tax and they are losing uh, their guaranteed income supplement mm -hmm. or part of it. And so out of, uh, they're actually only getting 58 cents on the dollar. So the poorest of people working mm. are getting <clears throat> only 58 cents on the dollar when yeah. they collect. Yeah. And the richest in the system are also only getting 58 cents on the dollar because of their high tax rate right. and they're losing old age security. Right. So the highest, uh, the, the um, more wealthy seniors and the, the least wealthy senior, seniors are getting the least amount. Hmm. Um, the ones that do very well, actually the best ones, are the lower middle class. They get 66 cents on the dollar and the higher middle class gets 61 cents on the dollar. Overall, Canadians are definitely better off. Mm -hmm. And as Andy mentioned, one nice thing about this is it forces people to save. You are going to get a reasonable rate of return on your money. If you're an employee, getting approximately 7% is probably better than you could have done elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that's a good thing. And they've actually shown that if they take a look at before and after without the CPP enhancement and with CPP enhancement, the poor seniors, um, so what they looked at is how much would your standard living drop? Mm -hmm. So how many people drop, how many stay the same and how many actually increase their standard living? Well, the people that when they retire without the CPP enhancement, there's a 46%, almost half the people retire have a lower lifestyle mm -hmm. when they retire because they didn't have, their income's gone down too much. Right. After the CPP enhancement, it's only 34%. So about a third from compared to almost half. Mm. Okay, so it definitely is helping the ones that weren't as prepared. On the other hand, the people that have pensions already, let's say you're a teacher, police officer, worked at whatever company with a defined benefit plan, they already were in a pretty good shape. 28% um, did not have a decrease. Sorry, 28% did have a decrease. 29% actually had an increase under, under who have pension plans. But with the enhancement, it goes from 28% having a decrease to 18% having a decrease. So if you are with a defined benefit plan and with this uh, Canada Pension Plan enhancement, <clears throat> only one out of five retirees will have a decrease in lifestyle when they retire. Hmm. So definitely helped out um, everybody. Um, it helped out uh, particularly the ones without pensions the most, about 12%, but also helped out the ones with pensions, about 10%. So overall, forced savings, Andy and I have been talking about it for years, forced savings is never a bad thing, and CPP is really a great form of forced savings. All right, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Who's got the pool? Where are we going? <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Scott. See you next week.